0: We have died with Christ. We believe that we shall also live with Him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. We've been in it quite a while. We've read five and a half chapters. We're halfway into the sixth chapter before Paul has any command, and it is this. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God
1: in Christ Jesus. It must be fairly important. It's the first one he gets to. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue on our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, Does Grace Promote Sin? We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started.
0: The salvation that Christ provided for us is both deliverance from the penalty of sin for all eternity and deliverance from the power of sin right here and now. And by the way, uh, let me just stop and say, if you don't know Christ, uh, I'm glad you're here. If you're just looking into things or if you're just uh, puzzling over this, let me encourage you that there are dozens of reasons to come to Christ. But if I were to categorize them into two camps uh, and basically two thoughts, it is this. He delivers from the penalty of sin for eternity. And that's the huge issue that every person faces. What about your sin when you stand before a righteous God? Christ delivers from the penalty of sin for eternity. And secondly, He can and will deliver you from the power of sin right here and now. And it may be that you don't even have clear enough eyesight to think about eternity right now, but you would like deliverance... (laughs) from the bondage and the pressure and the slavery of some sin that's got you by the throat, or maybe a dozen sins that have you tangled and not really experiencing life the way it was meant to be, why Christ is for you. He'll deliver you from the power of sin and the penalty of sin. So uh, we want to look at that. Now, chapter 6 of Romans, what shall we say then, he asks... Well, if you've been with us in Romans, you know what to say. Hallelujah. (laughs) Think about it. I mean, think where he's gone. We were completely lost, unrighteous, not seeking God, suppressing truth, not seeking truth. I mean, you think where he started describing us and the truth about us and our condition, and then you think where he's brought us in the argument of Romans. Look at the end of chapter 5, where sin increased grace abounded all the more. That as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. A righteous God has made provision for your salvation. For me? For you? Yeah. I stand before a righteous God clothed in the righteousness of Christ. He has reckoned His righteousness to my account. What an amazing salvation we have. And if you know Jesus Christ, you can say the same thing. Cost God everything? Cost Him His Son. He offers it to you and me freely, without cost. And it's absolutely secure. Remember, we looked at it in chapter 5, a variety of ways But your standing before a righteous God depends wholly on another, Jesus Christ. Just as Adam sinned and brought all the wreckage on this race, and we saw this at the end of chapter 5, and somebody might say, well, I didn't have anything to do with that. That's not fair that Adam sinned and ever since then we've been sinners. Well, it's just the way it is. You don't have to teach your kids how to sin, do you? (laughs) Yeah, you didn't bring little angels home from the hospital, I know i know you love them and i and i know when we brought ours home they are so special but you find out very quickly that they uh, carry some of your traits <laughs> you know one in particular adam sinned the whole race of sinners but just as adam brought sin, Christ brought righteousness. And if you're born again into Christ, your righteousness isn't dependent on you, it's dependent on another, your representative, Jesus Christ, and God sees you in Christ. No wonder I say, hallelujah. I mean, grace reigns. Look at it, verse 21 of chapter 5. Grace reigns through righteousness to eternal life. Everyone ought to say, praise God. What shall we say then? But that's not what Paul answers with. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? Now, it might have been Paul's answer to say, if he'd been answering, what shall we say? Hallelujah. Praise God. I know it would have been his response, in fact. But that's not what he writes here. Why is that? Because Paul isn't giving his personal testimony. He's not sharing his heart here. He is arguing a case. And he knows. He's been arguing for Christianity 30 years. He knows what people say. He knows uh, what the unregenerate mind says. He knows what they said then, and they're still saying today. I talk to people daily, it seems, or weekly anyway, that uh when presented with the gospel of grace, we'll say something like, oh, well then... We ought to just keep sinning that grace might increase. Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be, he answers. Now, I hope you didn't miss his answer. Look at verse 2. Absolutely not. Should we just continue in sin because grace reigns? No way. May it never be. Now, when we first ran into this phrase back in chapter 3... I uh, I commented on it a little bit. He uses this refrain ten times, and this is the fourth time in Romans, when he's arguing, and he, he asks the questions that he's heard many times, and then he answers them. No way. Don't think like a lot of people think, he says. Absolutely not. May it never be. Don't even let the thought enter your mind that because God saves by grace, it doesn't matter how much we sin then. And how often? I've heard people say that. Well, then it it wouldn't matter. I guess it doesn't matter. No, no. May it never be. And then he moves on. He moves on. And it seems to me that uh, his answer, even verse 2a, you know what I mean, is very clear. But he's going to expand it uh, clearly and forcefully the rest of the chapter. In fact, that's the rest of chapter 6. Should we sin then? No way. And he expands on it the rest of the chapter. Uh, I'd say it this way. He first, he he refutes the question as wrong-hearted. Don't even ask that kind of a question. And then he refutes it, verses 2 through 23, as wrong-headed. First of all, he rebukes the heart that would even ask it. And then he instructs our heads, so to speak, if you think of it that way as to why it is wrong headed and uh, you know before I get into it further let me just give you before I get into the nuts and bolts of chapter 6 chapter 6 falls into two sections very easily verses 1 through 11 and verses 15 through 23 and the central exhortation is right between them but uh both both sections are refuting the idea does grace promote sin And he asks a question, chapter or verse 1, and then he answers it for 11 verses. Then the central exhortation, we'll read it in just a minute, and then you look over at verse 15 and he asks the question again, What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? Same answer. May it never be. Don't even think that way. And then the balance of the chapter deals with that. But let me read the central exhortation just as a backdrop for the chapter. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as right, as instruments of righteousness to God for sin shall not be master over you for you are not under law but under grace sin is completely unacceptable while uh, we may not be able to say that it's impossible for a Christian to sin, to live in sin is absolutely unacceptable. So keep that in mind and keep and you know I would encourage you to read this chapter repeatedly, and specifically, read 12, 13 and 14. Let that get a handle on your heart. Uh, get the central exhortation down. Now I want to also, because we're at a major turning point in Romans, I want us to kind of uh, step back and look at the big picture of Romans before we look at the details of the chapter 2. And that is this. In the broad sweep of things, uh, he's moving his argument from justification to sanctification. And Romans is one of the most outlineable books. I mean, you, if you spend some time with it, you can see his logic. You can see his argument for Christianity. And so, you know, if you look up somebody else's outline, and sometimes that's helpful to do, although I would tell you, get it in your heart. Don't uh, rely on some outline in the front of a study Bible or something like that. But if you look, you know, and, and it's helpful too sometimes, you'll see that just about everyone will mention justification in chapters 3 through 5 and sanctification in 6 through 8 or they'll make the break at 5.11. And uh, that's because I think 12 through 21 of chapter 5, the one we looked at last time, speaks of both, really. It, it partakes of both... True is as he speaks of Adams representing the race and then Christ representing the new race. And so just think in terms of 3 through 5 and then 6 through 8, and let me uh, give you a few thoughts that might prove helpful. In chapters 3 through 5, as he's speaking of justification, the great emphasis is substitution. Christ died in my place. In chapter 6 and following now, The great emphasis is not going to be substitution, but identification. I was identified with Christ when He was dead, buried, and raised again. Christ died for my sins, chapter 3 through 5. Christ died to sin, chapter 6 through 8. Or I died with Christ, if you like. Christ died for sin, Christ died to sin, and I died with Him to sin. I am dead to sin. He paid the past penalty... Chapters 3 through 5, he delivers from the power of sin. Chapter 6 and following. Justified to be declared righteous. That imputes righteousness. And if you're not familiar with that term, it's not one we use every day, but the Bible teaches this idea of God reckoning it to our account, charging it to our account. So justification has the idea of righteousness imputed. It's charged to my account. Sanctification... On the other hand, chapter 6 and following has the idea of righteousness actually imparted to me. We are to live righteous lives, and he gives the basis for that in these chapters. Someone has said that the first uh, section is emphasized we're saved by his death. The next section, we are saved by his life, and I kind of like that although you can't separate His death, burial, and resurrection, but yet you'll see it here in chapter 6, 7, and 8, that Christ died for me, now He lives, and I'm identified with Him in that new life. What should it look like? So kind of keep that in mind, and I think it's helpful in understanding the uh, argument of Romans. And and when I say that, please understand that it isn't just an academic exercise you really get a hold of this, and it changes your Christian life. It changes uh, your perspective, and hence uh, you'll bear much more fruit. You'll be much more happy. You'll be more fulfilled. You'll have much greater impact for Christ. Uh, Romans is so central to that. Now, having said that, remember back at the start. In fact, uh, look back there and just take a glance at chapter 1, verse 21. Even though man knew God, even though they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Man's mind has been messed up. His heart is messed up. He refused to honor God as God, and he has a perverted way of thinking ever since. His foolish heart was darkened. That will nowhere be more clearly seen then when you come to explain the gospel of grace and man's heart and head, heart and head, huh? Man's way of thinking, of, looking at things is all twisted. He says, oh, well then, shall we sin? Are we to continue in sin? The grace might increase. What a perversion to think that way. And yet so many people do. In Paul's day, there were people Uh, Jude writes of them ungodly persons, Jude 4, who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. The unregenerate mind, on the one hand, will say, oh, well, then I can just go out and sin. And there are people who operate that way. They would give lip service, they give profession to Christ, and then just go sin. They actually follow through on it. They haven't understood grace. There's a blindness still. And then there are others. There's the other, the other thought, and you can kind of look at it both ways. There are others who cringe when you talk of grace. And I mean now church-going people, you know, religious people, Christians outwardly it would seem. They go to a church, they hold to their religion. But when you present the gospel of grace in Christ, they kind of cringe and say, well, if, if people were to believe that way, they'd just sin then. Why is that? Because their heart of hearts is a legalist heart. They think the only thing that'll kind of keep you clean is by trying to get to heaven on your works. Otherwise, what other motive would there be? (laughs) And if I, and if you preach grace, why, you'll just turn in people into sinners because they'll just go out and sin. They have no understanding of what it means to live for Him, to love Him. You fall in love with Jesus Christ and you don't want to go sin. Your desire is not. Well, then, you mean, if I don't have to earn my way to heaven, I could just go out and sin. No, that's the way the non-Christian thinks. And if you're thinking that way, by the way, either, either types of thought, if you're kind of saying, that's great, that's license. Or if you're thinking, well, if I were to believe that, why, what would keep me, uh, you know, on the straight and narrow kind of thing? There's a good chance you don't know Christ. If your heart still thinks that way, if your mind still thinks that way, there's a very good chance you really don't know. Him. Titus uh, speaks, well, I won't even give you that text, I'll just uh, move on. Verse 2, May it never be, how shall we who died to sin still live? In... Or do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Therefore we've been buried with Him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, now mark it in your mind, verse 11. Verse 11 is where he's going here. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. By the way, that's the first command in Romans. Do you think about that? We've been in it quite a while. We've read five and a half chapters. We're halfway into the sixth chapter before Paul has any command, and it is this. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. It must be fairly important. It's the first one he gets to. Christianity isn't a bunch of commands. Christianity is what God has done for us, not what we do for him. And to reduce Christianity, as is often the case in our popular culture, to the Ten Commandments or something like that, and if we could just get the Ten Rules posted on the school wall, well, everything would be fine. No, no. Uh, I'm not saying we shouldn't post the Ten Commandments. I'm simply saying that's not Christianity. Christianity is what Jesus Christ has done for sinners. And Paul argues for it for six chapters before he gets to the first command. And it isn't to do something. What is it? Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Okay, having said that, let's go back to verse 2 and walk our way toward verse 11. May it never be. Are we to continue in sin? No way. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? That's his thesis. Right there. We have died to sin. How in the world? Why in the world? For what reason would you even bring up living in sin when you died to sin? He says. That's his thesis. How in the world could we live in sin? Don't you know? Look at verse 3. Do you not know? That's a key, key word in the Christian life. And it's a key word in this section. Knowing something. To know. Don't you know? Verse 3. Verse 6. Knowing this. Verse 9. Knowing that Christ... He wants us to know some things... And by the way, when he raises the question again, when he gives a second go at it, look at verse 15. Look at this section we'll look at next time. Verse 15, what then shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know? He brings it up again. So it's important that we know these things. And we will know what he's saying here, not by reason. You can't reason your way to these things. We will know them not by experiencing them. That's why the Christian life is ultimately not just going by what you feel or experience or what kind of mood you could crank up at a meeting or something. Uh, We won't know these things by our feelings. We will know them by revelation. How do I know that I died to sin? Well, not by my feelings. I feel quite alive to sin, don't you? Now, by my experience, I look at my life and I think, there's huh, a long way to go. How do I know that I died to sin? God said so. I've got a certainty about it because it's based on revelation. In other words, we know these things by faith because faith is response to God's truth. It's response to God's Revelation. He wants us to know, don't you know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ have been baptized into His death? Therefore, we've been buried with Him through baptism into death. In order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. We've become united with Him in the likeness of His death. Certainly, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. We have been identified with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. When Christ died... I died. When Christ was crucified, we Christians were crucified. When Christ was buried, we were buried. When Christ arose, we arose. We have been identified with Christ, something that God did for us. When He died, we were identified with Him. We were co-crucified, co-buried, and co-resurrected.
1: You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Does Grace Promote Sin? A message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. We're continuing to see new growth in the Romans Project on the continent of Africa. Recently, we've added the countries of Guinea, Mali, Togo, and Ivory Coast to the ever-expanding outreach of the project. We'd like to invite you to learn more about this ministry or become a partner with us as we minister to pastors and church leaders throughout Africa. Just navigate over to RomansProject.org or connect with us at Facebook.com slash RomansProject. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Before Christ, we were enslaved to sin now.
0: Verse six, we are no longer in slavery. In fact, we are free from the bondage. Verse seven, he who has died is freed from sin. Paul's very first recorded sermon, he, he proclaimed Christ as the one who frees from all things. Acts 13, I think it's 39. He frees from all things which the law of Moses could never free us from. Religion doesn't free people. Religion puts them under more rules. But relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, frees us. It frees us. And we are free then, look at the end of verse 4, to walk
1: in newness of life. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, Does Grace Promote Sin? Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.